Hello and welcome to the Date Night Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Russell, and with me is my co-host, Ashley Russell. Hey, guys. This is a show where on each episode, Ashley and I, we talk about a new movie that's playing in theaters, and then we break it down whether we thought it was good or bad, and whether or not it would make for a good date movie. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the Scream requel starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. But before we get to that, we have to tell folks about our own feature film called Tiny Dancers, which they can watch right now on Prime Video. This is a low-budget feature-length comedy that we made on our own, totally independent. This is kind of a a foul-mouthed, pull-no-punches type of comedy in the vein of Clerks or Bad Santa. It's called Tiny Dancers, and you can stream it right now on Amazon Prime. So this latest scream is the fifth in the series, and the first not to be directed by Wes Craven, who passed away in 2015. Are you a fan of Scream? I, I think I was a fan of the original and fan, you know, is light on this because I'm not a big uh, a slasher horror. You're not big into horror in general, but slasher especially. Yeah. It's really not, not your bag. Not my bag. Um, but I will say the first Scream was good fun. It had a good twist to it. The characters were fun. It had a sense of humor. It had a sense of humor about and self-awareness themselves. to it. Yeah. Which made it fun. But, I mean, that's really that's really it. I mean, it is a classic. Do you remember um, how old you were when you saw it? What year did it come out? It came out in 96. I didn't see it until it was on video, I think, that following year. I think in, like, kind of prepping up for Scream 2. Because Scream 2 came out exactly, like, one year after. And I definitely saw Scream 2 in theaters and had a lot of fun watching that. When I rewatch that now, it does not hold up. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing it in theaters. I think I probably saw it on TV. Yeah, you know, honestly, like the the first the first probably screen, like edited like version. Oh no, you, you got to go uncut with that. I know. Um, no, the first scream definitely still holds up. Uh, the sequels are, uh, you know, hit or miss, like like sequels usually are. I think, but they don't need to be making five of these bad boys. <laughs> like the first two, fine, but I mean, come on. I agree. You really could have stopped uh, after Scream 2. I mean, Scream 2 made so much money. Like, oh. all these movies just make so much money. Then there wasn't there a parody film on Scream? or s- like Scary movie. Yeah, there you go. It was, yeah. like, it was a parody. Now, that was fun. <laughs> scary movie, you're a fan? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since uh, I visited those. <laughs> but that shows you just how hugely influential Scream was. Yeah. Because, there, yeah, there were parodies. There were copycats. In like the mid '90s, when Scream came out, self-aware movies, like you know, this whole kind of a meta approach to storytelling, wasn't really a thing. It's it's a lot more frequent now. Like everything is kind of meta and self-aware now. How much did it cost to make the original Scream? Obviously, it was a success, but was it a box office success? Like, how much did this bad boy make? The budget for the original was fifteen million, and uh, you know, produced by the Weinstein's. Uh, you know, who are pretty thrifty and, <laughs> and uh, rapists, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it made over a hundred million in theaters wow. and that's not even getting into home video. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, um, a money train for sure. I just, I remember Scream just being like a huge thing in not the late nineties. Not many movies can make over a hundred million in profit. That's well, a lot of, of movies. Nowadays. A lot of movies make over a hundred million these days, but um, they usually cost over a hundred million. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like it's yeah. profit. They're pocketing a lot of cash, and that's it, not it's... even including like the video, like you said. Yeah, I mean, with something like Scream, like video is, and, is and the like, real the rights for cable. 
a, a huge title. That's why they're wow. that's why they're still making them because yeah, it was huge. It had a huge influence and legacy. This current this new scream, which is just called Scream, yeah. where we're getting rid of the the numbers. Yeah, just going mm-hmm. back back to basics. Uh, it, it was pretty thrifty as well. It cost uh, about twenty five million. Twenty five million. Yeah, and it's uh, already on track to make that back. This movie it has a seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, people are are loving it. I mean, that's that's surprising. <laughs> it's already it's already made more than the entire run of Scream Four, which was kind of kind of a bomb. I think Scream Four is kind of underrated. I think that movie has its moments. You know, I mean, it's it, it, it's okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to try and save major spoilers for after the break, but there's going to be some minor spoilers and key plot points that we go over here and just kind of summing up the plot. So if you don't want anything spoiled, come back after you've seen the film. But, uh, this movie kicks off much like the first movie where we have a young girl here. She's played by Jenna Ortega, who's home alone being terrorized by a voice on the phone. The difference now is, you know, we're five movies in, and the events of the first Scream have inspired a series of films within the universe of these movies called Stab. And Stab has its own set of sequels. And so the killer on the phone, instead of quizzing the young girl about old classic horror movies, like in the first one, here he's quizzing her about previous Stab movies, which is kind of just an excuse to catch the audience up on the series. That's kind of how that serves. It's kind of... Actually, it's, it's brilliant. It, yeah, it's it's clever. There's a lot of clever concepts and screenwriting going on here. There's, yeah. yeah, movie's very clever. Yeah. So, and this is where the girl says she's into elevated horror, like Hereditary and Baba Duke and the Jordan Peele movies. And this this pisses the killer off. I oh think. yeah, big time. This is what triggers the killer. Yeah. <laughs> big time, and you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm frustrated with this movie, and we'll get into my frustration in the spoilers because just the motivation for the killers just well usually I mean usually in these movies it, it's usually like obsessed horror fans yeah. who just like snap and go on killing sprees. It's usually obsessed horror fans, and yeah, this scene it ends with Ghostface kind of breaking in, attacking her. He breaks this girl's leg. And he's like stabs her repeatedly in the back. It's all pretty brutal. But she survives. Yeah, we assume she's dead, but it turns out she's alive. She's in the hospital. And this inspires her uh, estranged sister, Sam, who's played by Melissa Barrera, to come back to Woodsboro to take care of her. And um, this is where we meet a bunch of dipshit kids. <laughs> there was n- really no like standout um, besides the two lead girls. The two lead girls, I think, were good. Um, but everybody else that surrounded them, yeah, were not good. We're not we're not taking shots at the actors. I mean, these are all clearly talented actors, but the way their characters are yes. written and portrayed, uh, I just I mean, they're all just like they can't die fast enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah, whiny. They know everything. I mean, they're smart. Like it's just. It's I like, wasn't. Okay. I wasn't love. I wasn't jiving on any of these kids, to be honest. Um, so yeah. We introduce these kids, and we learn early on that Sam is the biological daughter of Billy Loomis, who's played by Skeet Ulrich, who was one of the killers from the first film. And so, uh, you know, bodies start to pile up. Ghostface, he keeps attacking the kids, and they eventually turn to Deputy Dewey for help. And Deputy Dewey, of course, is played by David Arquette, whose character has fallen on some hard times. (laughs) 
his character <laughs> is actually the best in this movie. Yeah. Some really interesting plot twists. His um, character has a com- complete arc in this film. Like yeah. it feels like his character has progressed, even though downward. His character has progressed from the previous films, whereas like we don't really get that with Sydney and Gail, who we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, I mean, just talking about David Arquette, he really is like the MVP here. Yeah, and I got time. I gotta say, like for a long time, I've had a bias against David Arquette because I mean, just growing up in the '90s, my image of him is as this screaming madman on the ATT Call Collect commercials. <laughs> You're probably wondering how I got this bod. A hundred collect calls a day with 1-800-CALL-ATT. It's always the same low rate, so I can do it all day and all night. Ah! Ah! Come spot me! 1-800-C-A-L-L-A-T-T. I feel good. <laughs> like, there were so many of them, and it was all just variations on this guy is Frightening, and he is in your face, and he yeah. is screaming. But like, after I'm, out, I'm sure you got a lot of money. Outside of screen, and outside of like, what else has he done? He's yeah, he's had some some gaps. I mean, it looks like he's done some TV. That's what makes his performance here so surprising because yeah. it's you just don't expect it from David Arquette, and he's he's just such a more mellow presence here than he was in the 90s. Now... And so he's he's really good. It's interesting. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, and I kind of would love to know how Courtney Cox and David Arquette like, were working together on this film, like behind the scenes. He, I, I would just be if, uh, interested to be a fly on the wall during the filmmaking process. Obviously, they've remained friends yeah. I mean, through everything they've been through. There's Yeah, there's some un- uncomfortable stuff here because we see him like... I mean, he's an alcoholic, he's living in a trailer, and he starts his morning by just watching her show. Yeah. And that's the happiest part of his day, just watching her on TV. <laughs> in the movie, it's kind of like they, they were together and then they they split up. Right. Uh, and him pining over her after all these years. He's Yeah, he's really pining for her. And um, it's, it, I mean, it, it, it's a little uncomfortable. I know, yeah. <laughs> But uh, again, he he is really good here, and so Dewey he uh, he contacts Sydney Prescott and Gail Weathers, or does he just contact Sydney? He contacts Sydney, calls and, her, and then she contacts Gail. No, he sends Gail a text message with like a smiley face or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I remember he, that. He, yeah. he was afraid to like call her. Yeah. And so that, that was a pretty good moment. That, that was, was pretty good. Kind of funny. But yeah, we meet back up with Sydney Prescott, who has kids and is married. But we don't see any of that. No, we don't see any of that. We see her like jogging with a stroller. This is clearly a situation of like, you have me for three days. Make get, use of what? Get, get what you can. All right. But yeah, she is barely in this. Like seeing this like little snippet of her personal life, like who is she married to? Like I would be more interested in a continuation of Sydney Prescott's story versus hanging with these dipshit know-it-all kids i mean (laughs) word i mean that's just me but yeah she's barely in this and also uh courtney cox i mean they they, they come in for the finale that that really is it's kind of like the big show what are they even i mean they're they're there to be on the poster i mean let's (laughs) let's be honest what are they even doing in the finale they're pretty much just there i mean they're 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 they want to finish ghost face off once and for all and yeah i mean we got to mention the scene where these awesome kids <laughs> sit around and discuss the whole concept of a requel 
which is, you know, like a reboot sequel where you're kind of telling the same story as before, but with new actors and you're bringing in the legacy actors and they're doing this whole little monologue in front of David Arquette. Yeah. And the whole thing is very self-aware and there's some funny stuff here, but it goes on for like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's all like a monologue delivered by this character, it, Mindy. It, it really is. And it's... There are some funny lines there. This, this monologue it's very self-aware. Is, is very pretentious. Well, I mean, welcome to film Twitter. I mean, seriously. <laughs> like, it's kind of just like calling out all of the movie's creative shortcomings. Yeah. Like, we're going to call it out so you guys don't have to call it out. We're aware of how creatively we're gonna, bankrupt. We're going to make fun of ourselves yeah. and, like, be the first one to laugh at ourselves versus, yeah. you know. You don't need to do it. We're doing it ourselves. Yeah. That's how clever we are. It just, it, a little of this goes a long way. Yeah. And we, do, we get, like, heaping spoonfuls but of it. It, it's, it's not just lot. one section, right? Like, it is multiple times the characters are telling you. It's like pages why, of dialogue. Why, why horror films are so great and you should like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it pays. In the first film, if you if you rewatch it, it's like that meta element is there. Yeah. In, in the sense that these are characters who have seen a horror movie before. Yeah. And so they're aware of the conventions of a horror movie. It's really like one character, the the Jamie Kennedy character, yeah. who's like the self-aware movie nerd, who's kind of calling out things as they're happening. Here, it's every character. Every character is calling out the movie's conventions as they're happening. We got to mention, in this film, we learned that the, the Stab series, it's gone on to eight films, and the eighth film has like polarized fans. Yeah. Uh, after the quote-unquote Knives Out guy took over. Do you remember this line? Yeah. And that's a reference, of course, to Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi. Uh, I mean, really, this movie's target is toxic fandom and just the way people can feel kind of overprotective about their favorite series and lash out at creatives yeah. who take things in a direction that they don't want. My thoughts are like, I think that's that's an inspired target, toxic fandom. Yes, it's not a plausible motivation to go on a killing spree. I mean, I guess I just don't relate because I don't – be, there, there's not a, like a movie that I'm just absolutely like fangirling over. It would be like if someone was so triggered by The Last Jedi. Yeah. They, wanna, they killed everyone in their neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, there, there's it not – wouldn't happen. There's not – I mean, I love movies. Don't get me wrong. But there is not a movie that I would die for. You know what I mean? Like it's just – it's a movie. Exactly. It's entertainment. It's not, exactly. you know, life. That is kind of the the motivation for this new slate of killing is it's a fan or fans who got so triggered by the latest stab that they want to recreate it by creating like a new murder spree to base a new film off of. Exactly. It's, I mean, meta. Yeah. <laughs> Clever, but not plausible. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into spoilers for Scream. <laughs> All right, we're back, and we're going to get into some spoilers for Scream. So, you know, pretty much every major character, with the exception of Sydney and Gail and the two lead sisters, yeah, bites it. <laughs> I mean, pretty much, yeah. It, it leads to a bloodbath, um, yeah. pretty much identical to the first. Well, no, um, one of the, the twin girl know-it-all survives. Mindy? Yeah. She survives. Okay. She survives in the end. 
we got to keep her around for Scream 6. I mean... There's a scene here at the end where we're recreating the scene from the original Scream slash Stab, where Jamie Kennedy, his character, is watching a movie. He's kind of drunk, and Ghostface is coming up behind him. Yeah. And Mindy is watching that scene on the couch while Ghostface is coming up behind her. Yeah. I mean, are we having fun? Are you loving how clever it is? <laughs> so the best death scene uh, in my in my view is Dewey. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, the MVP. His death scene is yeah. amazing. It, it was really good. I really enjoyed <laughs> watching him die. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, just because it was it was the first time like an OG like one of the original characters dies, and I'm just like, thank God. And like in the scene is like Ghostface attacked the girls and you know, somehow like they get him unconscious. Ghostface is unconscious and he's kind of going back to check the body to make sure it's dead because the body, it's never really dead. Yeah. And so it's when he goes back to check on the body, Ghostface gets the one up on him. And I mean, he gets like disemboweled and like, oh, yeah. loses like a bucket of blood on the floor. Whew. And it's. It's just it's satisfying because throughout this series we see Dewey gets brutally stabbed. I mean that's why he's limping in this film because he's been stabbed so many times. And so many times it's like, oh wow, I guess Dewey's dead. And then he comes back like yeah. in the last scene, just kind of limping, kind of bloody. He's alive. Here, there's no doubt. Yeah. He like he's going in a body bag. <laughs> like, he, he did. Like a knife in the front and the knife in the back and like and hoisting then, like, him up. Oh yeah. It's, it's quite good. It's a it's a good death. This movie it, it gets I, the deaths right. So like one killer is phys- like physically not possible. Yeah, like because one of the killers is like a small girl. It's sm- <laughs> she's like one hundred and ten, a buck ten. I guess we should just say like the killer is is the boyfriend Sam's boyfriend Richie yeah. played by which duh. If, yeah, I mean I, come on. I think you called it like in their first scene. Like it's, it's probably this boyfriend and. He kind of sticks out because he's really the only kid who's not a know-it-all dipshit asshole. Yeah. Because he's kind of cheery and helpful and just wants to make himself useful. So it's like, okay. And he plays He's a fucking maniac. He plays dumb. Like, he doesn't know. He plays all all shots. Yeah. All the kids are super self-aware. And he's like, I've never seen Stab. What's this all about? So he's a red flag all the way through the movie. And the movie keeps setting him up as a red herring and then, you know, kind of faking you out. All the movies have done this. And by the end, it, it doesn't matter who the killer is. Yeah. It's arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. And, and then one of her sister's friends. I, I, Amber. Amber. Yep. I, I mean, she's surly. You know, and, that girl. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's surly. And you, you first get introduced to her in the hospital room. And she's acting protective of her friend to her big sister. I don't even remember any of her scenes prior to her reveal, to be honest. I mean, seriously. Like, she (laughs) is not memorable. (laughs) In the first film, those two killers, they were major characters all throughout the film. Matthew Lillard and, uh, you know, Billy Porter. (laughs) Skeet Ulrich. They were major characters throughout the film. So, like, when it was revealed that it was them, it's like, oh, wow, these guys? Yeah. Uh, It's not like... Wait, who was that again? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's kind of a problem with the, the other sequels as well. It's, I mean, you know. <laughs> I just I just don't buy the motivation that they just loved horror films so much. And they wanted to recreate a horror film and, and, and be in the movies and, and make it so that the lead girl's character. They're, they're going to frame Sam. They're for, gonna, for they the want to frame Sam for murder. Because she is the daughter of 
Billy. Bi- Billy, yeah. And Skeet Ulrich, he's doing a cameo in here. He does have a cameo as a ghost. She's like schizophrenic <laughs> or she like sees, sees dead people. So that's, I mean, that's some good fan service. Yeah. I mean, Skeet Ulrich, he hasn't been in this series since the original. I, I mean, this this movie's respectful of the series. Yeah. For sure. Clearly, these filmmakers love this series. And they, I mean, they want to honor it as respectfully as they can. Um, well, I was going to say, you see Sam, the lead girl, She's kind of gone off a rocker. Like, she's a little mentally unstable, and, and she's seeing her dead dad and, it, like, in visions and all of that. Like, you're, you know you want to do it. You know you want to kill somebody. And then she actually does, and it's really gratifying. Her boyfriend, like, she stabs the shit out of her boyfriend. Like, stabs and shoots him, doesn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. Yeah, again, the murders are really brutal. This is probably the most brutal film of the series, and like not by like a huge stretch all the movies are pretty violent but this one just has like an extra it just goes like that extra inch further <laughs> and i should have mentioned up front this movie it was directed by matt bettinelli open and tyler gillette whose previous film ready or not we talked about on this show and i think we were both fans of that yeah that was a good movie and so yeah that movie kind of toggled but also between comedy and terror similar to a scream film so that that makes them an inspired choice to kind of take this over. I just, I, I honestly, I prefer Ready or Not to yeah. this because I mean that it's an original thing. It's shorter. It's tighter. Yeah, I mean it, the it's just I'm I'm tired of these remakes. I'm tired of requels. Clearly, like, all the characters in this film are tired of it as well. Like when they go on this whole like fucking diatribe, yeah. it's like yeah, you know you're you're. You're kind of making me feel bad for buying a ticket to this. Yeah, this is creatively bankrupt. <laughs> Thank and, you. <laughs> and, and, you know, the back of my mind, I'm like, why Why are people still living in this little town, uh, Woodsboro? Oh, of Woodsboro. Like, wh- why? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, any of the original um Well, most players... of the originals have left, right? Like, Gail and Sydney, they have split. It's just Dewey, who's like a broken man. Living <laughs> in a trailer park. He hasn't been able... <laughs> to to get out so yeah i i guess just going into like some of the best deaths <laughs> kind of like midway in the film uh we have this kid played by uh dylan minette and he's he's the son of uh deputy, of the deputy hicks yeah. he's the only one that i recognize he's actually in he's a, been in stuff he's been in stuff but the way he gets dispatched he gets like a knife through the side of his throat oh. and it's it's so uncomfortable because the camera doesn't cut away. No. Like, it just stays in his neck. Like, he doesn't pull the knife out. He just slowly loses his air and just falls down. And the knife just stays in his throat the whole time. It's And it's close up. I, yeah, I haven't seen a kill like that before. So that was that was fun. And then another great kill is the Amber Girl. Like, she gets, sh- like, shot and then set on fire. Oh, yeah. She, like, falls onto a stove. But she gets... But she's still alive after that, right? And then they finally shoot her. She comes back. And then back, she gets shot again. And then she gets shot in the head. But I guess just, like, her getting, like, shot onto a lit stove. That was fine. <laughs> and then, yeah. like, instantly just bursting into flames. That was satisfying. Yeah, that was, that was a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, good kills here. Um, but, yeah, I got to say, my overall feeling is, like, I think I was, I was more or less with it. You know, like, the opening scene was pretty strong. The directors were good at generating tension. The kills were really strong. I liked David Arquette's performance. The kids sucked, but, you know, whatever. But really, like, once we get to the climax, and we are in the exact 
same house. It's as, the exact same climate as the original as film. The original. We're doing yeah. a shot for shot remake of the first film. Yeah. Uh, when we get to this climax. And for me, when, when we get to that climax and we're just recreating the events from the first film, uh, this movie, it hits a creative dead end. And we're just kind of stacking meta references on top of each other. And we're, you know, we're working twice as hard to get the same effect as the first film. And the first film just did it effortlessly. Yeah. The novelty of the first film is part of its appeal. Like I was saying earlier, meta wasn't a big thing in, in the 90s. You know, now it's any Ryan Reynolds movie you watch. <laughs> you know, we watch The Matrix, watch Space Jam. Like everything is meta, everything's self-aware. So it, it doesn't have the same novelty aspect. The, the climax is really where I just kind of threw my hands up. Like, uh, and that's why, like, when I was walking out, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know if I enjoyed this or not. Because like certain scenes, like Dewey's death, yeah, I'm loving it. Yeah, you know, when these dipshit kids are just talking to each other, and not getting butchered, I'm checking my watch. Yeah, we I'm, got that. <laughs> I'm having... So, um, so yeah, what's what, what grade would you give this? I'd probably give it a C. Yeah, I, I'm uh, in the same boat. Because there was parts that I liked and, and you know parts that I didn't like. My my whole thing is is just the character's motivation. I just I was like, why would they do this? Why would they murder all the people that they were friends with? Toxic fans, yo. I just I, I don't film I don't Twitter get it. Um, just <laughs> you know from a real but from a movie perspective, I guess that's okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> movie magic, you know. Whatever. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, the motivations are always kind of thin. Uh, made more sense in the first film. Yeah, because I, the motivations were more personal yeah. in the first film. Matthew L- Lillard is such a great psychopath. Well, he's so over the top. Exactly. So he's, he's he's a lot in that first film. He's, he's a lot, but he's a. Gr- I mean, like, <laughs> he might be a little little too much. But he's. But, but they're so all better than these kids. But so is Billy. Like they they both were like really great characters. Memorable. These, Even Jamie these, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, that's his best performance. I would say. Like I said earlier, like I, I wish this movie focused really explicitly on Sidney Prescott's character, like catching up with her 11 years after the last film. Clearly, a lot has changed. Yeah. She has, um, I mean, a lot at stake. I mean, with a marriage and kids, uh, yeah, the stakes would have just felt higher if Nev Campbell actually had like a lead role in this. Would you consider this a good date movie? I mean, what the hell else are people going to watch? <laughs> Wait, are you going to watch Spider-Man again? I don't know. If you go to the movies right now, the choices are pretty thin. So I think... Horror, uh, you know, always makes for a good date movie, in my opinion. If you and your date are are down with horror, yeah. Um, I mean, but like you, you're not really like a slasher fan. I'm not. And this movie didn't turn you around. It did not. So it's not a great date movie. No, not for you and I. But (laughs) (laughs) It's not the best. It's not the worst. Um, You know. It's in You know what it is. It's Scream. It's, yeah. this is why I'm disappointed. Or I, I feel disappointed because I I love horror. I like slashers. I'm not super picky when it comes to slashers, and I loved these directors' previous film. Yeah, I love the first Scream, so I feel like I was primed to really enjoy this, and uh, it, it just didn't come off for me. You know, as far as like continuing this series without Wes Craven, this is probably a best case scenario. I mean, it could be worse. So it could have been worse. So there's that. And that scream, directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette. You can find more episodes at anchor.fm slash movie date night, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can rate and review. 
Don't forget to check out our feature film, Tiny Dancers, which is streaming right now on Prime Video. We're on Twitter at DN Movie Podcast, and you can also email us at Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Ashley. Thanks for listening. See ya. As a ship and crack Where secrets lie In the border fires In the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Past the square, past the bridge Past the mills, past the stacks On a gathering storm Comes a tall, handsome man In a dusty black coat With a red right hand 